It's something for nothing. The Rush Fancast. Jerry and Steve with you. And Jer, it's creeping closer. A night for Neil is not far away. I know. We bought our tickets when the show was first announced, and now we're finally going to go. February 2020. I just looked at the tickets. You were looking up where we're going to be sitting. We're excited. Yep. And today we're going to learn more about it, which I'm very excited about as well. Uh, so am I. Get to learn about all the great acts that are going to be there. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, find us at The Rushcast. Email Jerry, therushcast at gmail.com. The base intro and outro, as always, is Lex. And Jer, hope you got a great email to get us started here. Sure. This one is from Anthony. What's up, Anthony? He says, I love the podcast. Just finished listening to your Clockwork Angels episode. And per your advice, I decided to try it with headphones on instead of the smart speaker I usually use for music. Oh, do you remember us recommending that people listen in headphones as opposed to some speaker? I don't remember that. It must've been you, right? I don't know. I don't know. It might've been you. <laughs> I don't recall. So he says, wow, I am amazed at how much stuff truly is going on in these songs. And it really is a heavy album. The drums and bass are thunderous in my headphones. It almost feels like my ears are rattling and Alex isn't left out. His solos are blistering. Amazing that these three guys make this much sound, and it's amazing that they sound this good so late in their career. Thanks for the podcast. It helped me grow my Rush fandom, one of which was never all that strong until later on in 2021. That's when I decided to rush through their discography. Little uh, air quotes on Rush there. Right. Decided to rush through their discography, and I am glad I did. It's an amazing body of work, and I encourage anyone who hasn't done that to do it. I found your podcast earlier this year when I was wanting to dive a little deeper into Rush after burning through their entire catalog, and I have enjoyed listening to it. You guys are now a go-to podcast for me. Thanks for all their hard work. That was Anthony. Awesome. Thanks, Anthony. I really appreciate you listening. appreciate the email. And you know, that story reminds me of the first Rush album I bought on CD, which was Moving Pictures, and I remember listening to it on headphones for the first time on CD. And it was incredible. Yeah. You know, even with headphones now, you know, the little in-ear headphones, you don't really get the, the full spectrum. You have to get like old cans. Right. The ones I'm wearing now, I got my, my Sony's right here. And these are the ones I had back in 1987. Really? Oh yeah. Well, not the same headphones, but the same type. I was going to say, I don't <laughs> think I have, I have anything that's lasted that long in my entire life. But, you know, I don't do that much anymore. I don't listen to Rush on headphones. I have to do that more. I know. I usually listen in the car. Homework for us, Jer. Sure. That doesn't sound like homework at all. That no, sounds like no. a great time. Not at all. So, Jer, today we're going to learn more about a night for Neil. As I said, we've got the vice president of Overtime Angels, Inc. And one of the people behind a night for Neil, the Neil Peart Memorial Celebration, which will take place October 22nd at the Meridian Center in St. Catharines, Ontario. Lance Caston, welcome to the Rush Fancast. I'm glad to be here, my friend. Thank you. Lance, we like to start out by asking our guests their Rush origin story. When did you first hear Rush, and how did you become a fan? <laughs> well, it's a funny story because I was a huge Kiss fan back in the 70s. And um, it was 1976, early 1976. And um, it, it, we used to dress up like Kiss, and it was just silly back then. And this guy, Ray Jordan from high school, ended up, I was ninth grade, and dude handed me 2112. And he said, he goes, Lance, you got to go. He goes, I know you like Kiss. You got to listen to this album and read the lyrics. And um, so took it home. 
uh, listening to 2112. And I was just like, you gotta be freaking kidding me. Right. And <laughs> Eric should probably listen to it two or three times that evening. And I just, you know, if you felt like you were, uh, it, it, you know, in uh, getting a master's in college versus uh, being in elementary school when it came to the lyrics right off the bat. And it wasn't much longer when I ripped the Kiss posters down off my wall because I'm like, what the hell have I been listening to for all these years? <laughs> I went to my first concert. Um, it was, wasn't 2112. It was All the World's Stage in Allentown. And that was an incredible journey that that took me on. And I think it was probably, I mean, Hemisphere sealed the deal for me. That was, I've been to, actually, I've, I've only been to 99 Rush concerts because I never made it to the last LA show. And I never made it to the Toronto shows. I had to sell those tickets because my business was so busy. I, I just, it was not the right thing to do. Even though I wanted to be there for the last concert, I couldn't. So I sacrificed that and never made it to my 100th Rush concert, unfortunately. And I'm blessed uh, to have all the friends that I have that are affiliated with Rush right now. It just, it was, uh, it was quite the journey. I mean, never missed a tour since 1976. So when you became a Rush fan, did you start dressing up like Rush in a kimono and a handlebar mustache or something? No, I didn't. No, I didn't, buddy. I, that was you no. Know, that was it. I, I became a little bit more sophisticated then. As a matter of fact, <laughs> Rush's lyrics got me through senior high. Um, a couple um, lyrics, people, my teacher was like, "What?" But you know, some of Neil's, Neil's lyricism um, was written on some of my essays and tests and things like that that helped me get through high school because you know things were a little bit different back then. That was you know going into the eighties, and you know, it was a much simpler time. Back, back in the 80s, for God's sakes. Of course, you know, you visited the salad bar, you know, if, you, if that's what you want to call it back then. And, you know, it, 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 was, just a, it was just a different ballgame. But Rush was then and has been, you know, a, a part of my life's portfolio ever since. I think it's pretty impressive, 99 shows, even if you didn't yeah. hit 100. We've only been to, what, late 20s, something like that, 26, 27? Yeah, 26. I think, well, I mean, that's, that's no slouch either, gentlemen. And, you know, I think once, and then when I got older, obviously I could afford, you know, tickets that were within the first three rows. We were in the time machine video because you know, we were in the third row. There must've been at least 30 of us that were right in that area. And um, there's nothing like getting hit at point blank range with rocket sauce. You don't want to go back, <laughs> you know, what first three rows, you know, there's nothing like getting blasted with that sauce especially when it's coming from Rush. So I guess it was a no-brainer to start uh, Overtime Angels then, right? Your charity group? Well, we were already having, you know, gatherings for Rush fans. We started at my house first. It was, that was basically, it, it was RatCon. We had RatCon when RushCon was having RushCon. And there was, a, this is when Facebook wasn't even popular. We were blogging on RushTheBand.com on Ed's website, Ed mm -hmm. Stenger. And they, the RushCon actually put a survey out and it said, where would you like to have the next RushCon? And this was 2008, right around the Snakes and Arrows tour. Uh, no, sorry, it was 2007, um, the beginning of the Snakes and Arrows 1 tour. And then they had Snakes and Arrows 2 in 2008, if I recall myself correctly. And they, so the, one of the, and you could see the percentages of people that wanted to have it in Cleveland because they said, you want to have it in Vegas, Toronto, or, or Cleveland? Well, it was hands down over 70% of the people said Cleveland and why not have it in the same place, you know, where Donna Halper spun working man for the first time domestically in the United States, but they decided not to do that. They did. So I don't even know what happened. No, we've decided not to have it that way. 
and you know, you blogged. It wasn't, you know, it was funny how many people that I met. You know, I said, you know what? We were already calling ourselves rush rats because we were always looking for the next pellet. So I said, guess what? I'm going to have a domestic gathering at my house and call it RatCon. And we did. I've got a pool in my backyard and we decided that, you know, have the RatCon. And it was a bunch of people that I really got along with on RushTheBand.com. Well, the first RatCon, 27 people showed up at my house. My wife thought I was absolutely insane. <laughs> and I rushed out the entire backyard, bought every post good frame, put it all over the damn place. It was first class. I think it cost $150 for the weekend. And um, we, had, we had filet mignon. We had lobster tails and all the rush you could eat. Big screen TV in the back. And then we hired Signals as one of the bands. We went and saw them then. And then the next year, we had 55 people come to RatCon. And that was a much bigger ordeal. We had a Then I built a stage in my backyard and they played there. And then the next year, we had another one. And that got up to almost... 70 or 80 people in my backyard, which is probably not a damn good deal. Cops came every single time. So we decided to have two bands. We had a Saturday, <laughs> we had a Saturday night band. Then I decided a stupid thing to do. I, there was a, a, a Rush tribute band called Blame Canada. Let's have breakfast with in Canada and have that morning. Sound check started at 7 a.m. and the cops were there by 8.30. So that was a dumb mistake. So I paid for the band and they never got a chance to play. And then we had RatCon at Mike Rosenthal's house. Very good friend of mine, Mr. Driven, we call him. And um, that's when he announced that we were going to have, you know, that he wanted to start Overtime Angels. And we announced it at that RatCon and he asked me to be the vice president and everything else is, is history. And we decided to start Overtime Angels based on, you know, Rush's philanthropy to give back to people. And then that's when we started having Rush Camp and all the proceeds go to, you know, our charity. And we don't give to charities. We actually give to people. You have to do your due diligence because people will lie. If somebody wants to be nominated for, you know, to be an angel and, you know, they, they say, we're going to help the mother with the autistic child who can't get to work because her transmission went down, but we're going to pay for that transmission directly so you can get back on the road and take care of that child. That's what we like to do. And we've helped a lot of people. We've probably helped, you know, two, three dozen people uh, very, very well in the past since we started it in 2015. So that's almost seven years now. And it's a wonderful feeling. It's a nice way to, you know, give back to the community and, and help Rush fans and, and just people in general. We've filled homeless women's, you know, pocketbooks. Uh, you know, a hundred of them in Massachusetts. There's so many things we've done for people, but it's just a nice thing to do. And I think Rush, you know, was, was a good professor for the philanthropy that we, we learned. So you mentioned Rush Camp, Lance. Have you had this event the past couple of years because of COVID? Yeah. Rush Camp has been going on since 2018. We have it in the Poconos now because we just got too big for our yards, you know? So we opened up Rush Camp in the Poconos at a place called Independent Lake Camp. And that started out with like six or 70 people. And I think that the last one we had before COVID was like 125. And then we have like three or four different performers, you know, tribute bands come out there. They even built uh, this Independent Lake Camp. They built a giant stage for us on the lake. So, you know, you're talking and the acoustics are extraordinary coming off this lake. And we picked the lake. Because there's a tradition in our pool, in my, my pool and Mike's pool, when natural science comes on, 
everybody is informed to get into the pool and everybody plays air drums on top of the water and we create the biggest rush tsunami ever. So it's like, and we're slapping the waters just like, you know, slapping the base and we're creating this freaking tsunami. So literally you got to keep the hose in the pool and you have to wear goggles. I chew blue gum all the time. It blows. It just washes the blue gum right out of your mouth. You have to Google it, but there is, I think if you Google the Ratcon tsunami, it's probably somewhere on YouTube. It's a spectacle like you've never seen. It's crazy. But a matter of fact, I think the last rush camp that we had, we earned almost $19,000 for our charity, which was nice to give back and give to people. And, but a COVID hit and then we haven't had it for three years and we were going to have it again this year, but you know, a night for Neil came up and there's just no way to juggle a fan event like rush camp. And then also do a night for Neil and put our hearts into it. No way. Well, let's talk a little bit about a night for Neil. Why did you decide to do such a large event? Well, we really didn't decide to do that. It was, you know, we were actually invited to do that from, you know, by the family. Neil was very fond of what we did. He you know, was introverted as he was very, very quiet. And we never talked to Neil, but he was very, very happy to sign things for us for our auction through his good friend. And um, we kind of had a funny feeling that something was going on with Neil. But of course, you know, we, we never wanted to ever get into that. It was, you know, very tragic thing that happened to our man there. But we talked to Martin. He's from uh, South America. And he's been good friends with um, Nancy, Nancy and Betty, um, Nancy, Neil's sister and Betty being the mother. And then we got the phone call. Would you guys like to put on this event? Well, you know, we were just absolutely speechless. That was probably about two weeks after Neil's death. And we, we were speechless. They said, are you there? And we said, yeah. And we, you know, proceeded to do what we were going to do. Well, we only had like two and a half months to even get the damn thing started. And then COVID hit. So. You know, we were just scrambling to get, do things, you know, what we wanted to do. And of course, then we had to cancel it two more times because of COVID. And the last time that we canceled it, we didn't want to catch anybody off guard, but there were still a lot of protocols that were needed uh, for crossing the Canadian border. And we didn't know if people knew what was going to happen when they reached there. You know, you need to be double vaxxed, you need to be boosted, you need to have a proof of a test, you know, prior to getting there. So that could have, you know, put a damper on, you know, some of the fans, you know, actually even going there. So we, now they know. Now I think that Canada has lowered their standards a little bit. You still have to have your vaccine card, but you only are required to have one Johnson & Johnson booster or a combination of the Astra, whatever the heck it is, and another one. But you don't have to be boosted and you should be tested, but they're not doing anything about it once you cross the line right now. So that makes things a little bit easier, you know, to get across the line. I'm not sure. Are you guys in Canada? Or are you here in the United States? We're in New Jersey. Okay. You guys are in New Jersey. I didn't think that heard a Canadian accent. So <laughs> when you cross the Canadian border, you know, you're going into a different country. It's a different way of life. Um, you feel it, you know it, and you want to make sure that people know what's going on. You don't want to disappoint anybody. So it's happening, and we didn't know if there was going to be another round of COVID that was going to hit or something else was going to go. So, yeah, we're scrambling to get everything done, and we have, we're having two or three Zoom meetings every week um, with our, our producers and everybody else. So we're hoping that, uh, well, we know it's going to be an extremely memorable show the way everything's designed. 
So can you tell us a little bit more about how it is designed? Uh, you say on the website, it's going to be memorial and celebratory. What are fans going to see when they attend the show? There'll be some, a few surprises in between. And I can tell you right now, this is no Taylor Hawkins tribute. I can't just call Paul McCartney and tell him, dude, you know, I need you to come down here and play. What they did for Taylor Hawkins was a completely different ballgame. And what they did at Wembley, it was magnificent. I mean, nothing but spectacular. You know, we'll have a few folks that are going to be there, but most of this is like it was from the beginning. It's very heartfelt. So all the songs that are being picked out and played by some of the performers, whether or not they're playing by themselves or they're playing with other people, are heartfelt songs or songs that Rush has played that have a different feel towards them for the memorial portion. It's like with Diva. We're talking about strings and things like that. Uh, we have, you know, a lot of acoustics that are happening. And during this time, see, I can't even let out let some of the cats out of the bag. But there'll be a lot of pictures going on in the background and the songs that were chosen. The Rush, the real Rush fans are going to know why they were chosen, because they're going to grab people's hearts. These are songs that Neil was very fond of and that are going to remind them of Neil. I can assure you that by the time the memorial portion's over and what we have planned before we transition into something else, you're going to have to call Serpro in that joint like it never even happened because they're going to flood the hours. I mean, I guarantee there's going to be so many people uh, crying. And you know, you know what's going to be interesting? I bet you, I bet you 35% of the attendees are women. You know, of course, it's a big joke about women don't come to Rush concerts. Mm -hmm. Rushesaband.com at their peak when everybody was doing that back in the late 2000s, 50% of his subscribers and people that went on the blog were women. It's just amazing. And I met a lot of women through there. I had a matter of fact, I had to talk to my wife. I was just like, I'm not in this for the chicks, I, you know? And then finally somebody <laughs> at Radcon, she was like, now I get it. I'm like, yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> so there's going to be a song after song and then some videos and some pictures and some family stuff. And then we go into this, basically a transition into the memorial portion. And I can't tell you what the transition is, but I can tell you I'm 95% sure that Howard Ungerlater is going to be doing all the, the, the lights and sound. So if you think we're, we're going to, uh, the lights and the sound are going to suck, then you have no idea what the hell you're talking about because it's going to be pretty radical. Now, I've already seen the stage set up and we should have that finalized within the next few weeks. And it's extremely dynamic. It's very, very cool. And at the, it's of course at, at the Meridian Center. So it's a pretty big venue for that St. Catharines area. And then we have our tribute bands and the tribute bands are going to have like little guests and stuff like that to come out with them. You have permanent waves and they're, they're based out of Toronto. You have Andy Narsing and they've played at Rush Camp too. If you look up, uh, Dave Langeth is the drummer. Who the guitar player was because he was somebody else, and now I'm not sure who he is. But they have a couple songs that they're going to play that they just freaking absolutely nail. And one or two of those songs are extremely memorable for people. One of the songs that they're playing, um, I had my only outer body experience at a Rush concert when it was played. And then Solar Federation, they're one of the elite Rush tribute bands in the United States. And I've seen five, six dozen Rush tribute bands in my time. And you're talking about you know, people like Lotus Land and I mean, there's a couple of great Rush tribute bands and Solar Federation is right up there with it. As a matter of fact, I will get to uh, 
go out on a limb, go out on a main monkey business limb and say that I think Eric Worsing is probably the best Rush tribute guitar player in the world. And I've, I've seen a lot of them. And we, I've walked out of a lot of Rush tribute concerts. You give them the three song rule. If you make an air drummer look bad, those first three songs, I'm getting the hell out of there. And I'm calling homicide and telling a rack crime lab tape around your venue because you know, what do Rush fans know? We know air drums. So if you're making me look bad because you missed the hi-hat or you overfill too many damn symbol, whatever you're doing, you look like a, a bartender that's not making any profit with overfills, then you know, I'm getting the hell out of there. I want somebody that's going to hit precision, studio versions or live versions, and real Rush fans will know it. Fortunately for most of these Rush tribute bands, 60% of the people that go see them don't know that the drummer missed a beat, <laughs> but we do. <laughs> anyway, so we have Solar Federation and there's a couple surprises in between. And that's really what I need to, you know, I can't really let a lot of the cats out of the bag, but I can just tell you that what we're doing is going to be extremely memorable for every single person in that joint at the Meridian Center. And I'm busting my, I'm not getting any sleep to be honest with you. I mean, I work 70 hours a week as a contractor and you know, I'm not getting much sleep trying to ensure that everything we do is going to grab the fans' hearts. Now, was there, in working with Neil's family, did they have some ideas about what this event should be like? No, not really. Well, I mean, yes, in the beginning they did. And, you know, of course they wanted everything to be classy. That was one of their number one things that we were talking about. We went back and forth with the logo and everything with them. And then Nancy really got busy with her fundraising efforts. And matter of fact, um, Tracy McClellan just came back from Canada and she was working with Nancy and, and Betty and the family up there with the Neil Peart Golf Tournament. So she just flew back in today and we're one of the sponsors of the golf tournament. And as a matter of fact, there was an auction item up there. That was starting, oh, it was 10,000. It was 10 or 15,000 was dinner and golf with Alex, which is a pretty cool, cool <laughs> thing. If you got a, if you got a crispy 15 laying around <laughs> as, as we all do, right? We all do. You just grab it out of the, the, the pantry, but you know, it's, it's definitely something that, um, yeah, I mean, if you got money and people know about it, I, I, I think that would be quite the, uh, experience. You could take something off your bucket list, for God's sakes. And I think it was a wine tasting, too. So, I mean, what's better than, you know, drinking wine, playing golf and, you know, having dinner with Alex? I mean, that sounds pretty dope to me. Yeah. So you mentioned the logo, Lance. That was designed by Hugh Syme, was it not? It was. And he was very gracious. And Tracy got in touch with him. And, you know, I tell you what, a lot of these the people that have worked with Rush behind the scenes are just real good hearted people. And there's just, you know, obviously devastated, you know, by what, you know, what happened to Neil. And it's nice to just, you know, keep his memory alive by, you know, knowing who these people are and these folks being able to pitch in and help, you know, raise money for cancer and glioblastoma or whatever it is. There's a lot of good people out there that have raised a lot of money for um, these cancer hospitals and, and, and glioblastoma research, which is really nice. It's really the people that have the time and effort to do that. And it's, it's just very refreshing. It's really, I think Neil would be extremely proud to see, you know, what was happening 
in his name. I, to be honest with you, I mean, if, that, if, if Neil was alive today, could you imagine in this political climate and whatever is happening in this world right now, what the heck he would be writing about? My God. I, I can't imagine what it, I mean, with clockwork, I mean, with clockwork angels being such a, a crazy conceptual album, matter of fact, Mike, the president said, when we listened to clockwork angels for the first time, I said, dude, I said, what do you think? He goes, it's like Rush was on training wheels for 40 years. I said, <laughs> I said it was the greatest thing. And actually clockwork angels is my favorite Rush album. Really? Clockwork angels, the song bumped out natural science for my all-time favorite rush song. wow it shows you how much clockwork angels grabbed me we made my suburban into a freaking airship and traveled around to the concerts and it had a big motor on the back with sandbags hanging off of it a mess with 2112 on the front i mean it was crazy and we dressed up steampunk and we went to the concerts that way we had a ball my wife thought i was absolutely insane so did my kids I mean, why not go all out for the band that, you know, gave everything to you? Yeah. I mean, Clockwork Angels, it's an amazing capper to an amazing career, isn't it? And nothing was ever the same. I mean, you know, they, they didn't give two dams about what anybody thought about their music and their changes. And they just went with it. And, you know, the Rush fans stuck with them. You know, I mean, I know a lot of people that were lost at right as soon as Presto hit. I wasn't real fond of Presto when I first earned it. Like, what the hell's this? And all of a sudden, you know, I got, I, I liked it a little bit better. And then actually I really fell in love with it right before the time machine tour. Cause there was a lot of, a lot of music that I, I liked the rush. That was one of my least favorites, but now I can't say that anymore. I can't say that about, about Presto. And it was, it was really a result of hanging out with so many people that said Presto was their favorite album. I'm just like, what? And that was also when there was a lot of like Metallica and a couple other bands were coming out, but you can't compare it to what rush did or what Neil did for people. Just like what Taylor did for people, Taylor Hawkins is not the same thing as what Neil did for people. I've heard stories, gentlemen, and I'm not kidding you, which is really, it's, it's unbelievable. Some of the stories that I've been told behind the scenes of suicides and rapes and things that happened to people that changed their lives due to what Neil was saying to them through his lyrics. Especially the song, The Pass, right? There's multiple different songs, but I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not kidding. I've talked to over a dozen people and they've hit me with stories that have blown me away. And a lot of those people inspired us to create the show flow that we did now. And I wonder how many thousands of other people that's the same thing. It's not just subdivisions. There's plenty of songs that Neil was saying to people that took them out of the doldrums. Unbelievable. It's almost, I, I was... Put it this way, I, I couldn't believe that these people confided in me and told me some of these stories when they didn't even know who I was. We've gotten emails from people too who have found such incredible comfort in the band when they were going through difficult, really, really difficult times. I mean, it's some of the emails I've gotten are, are heartbreaking stories. I have tears in my eyes right now because I've, I've heard the stories and I felt their tears. I felt what they were feeling and it was. Um, it was pretty powerful. So that's inspired me and our team to come up with some of the songs that are going to mean the world to these folks when they come to a night for Neil. So tell us, Lance, about the charities that this event will raise money for. Can you tell us a little bit more about them? Well, they're cancer hospitals. So they help people with recovery. I don't know a lot. Mike would know a little bit more about 
the ins and outs of what's difference between all of these hospitals. But these were hospitals that were recommended by the family. And uh, Mike did some research as well. So he knows more about the intricacy of the, the hospitals themselves. I could not tell you, and nor am I going to even try to guess what these folks try to do, except for cure cancer patients. And that's pretty incredible in itself. Are there still tickets available for this event? I mean, it's coming up pretty quickly. Yes, there are. I think there's over 3,000 sold and there's still a couple thousand left. So we're going to be doing a marketing blitz and some other things we're going to be announcing soon that I think that will entice more people to come. And the more people are there, the more money we'll raise for these hospitals. And um, that's one of the greatest things we're looking forward to is, you know, it's, that's, it's not just about Neil, but it's about making sure that people that get cancer can be cured. Unlike our hero, which, you know, is just, you know, it just ever caught everybody blindsided. I mean, I, it took people weeks to get over that, that whole situation. It was unbelievable. What a shock. A shock heard around the world. I'll never tell you that Neil was the greatest drummer ever, but I will say he's probably one of the most influential drummers in history because a lot of people learned from what he did. And I think that he got tired. I think the, well, he did. He wanted to spend time, more time with his daughter and his family, but I think he nailed every percussionary style that there was, you know, everything. There wasn't anything that he didn't do. He looked at his style through the 70s. He looked at his style through the 80s and going into the 90s and what he was doing and all the influences that he had. I think he played himself out. There was nothing else he couldn't dominate. There wasn't any other style that he could he, he could do. Towards the end, I think he kind of got bored with it. And that's only my opinion. I, I don't know that firsthand, but I think he kind of got bored with playing the drums because there was nothing else he couldn't conquer. I mean, what do you say about this guy? I mean, just to hear the R40 and what they brought back out then, but Clockwork Angels just that blew many of our doors off. And some people didn't never got it. You know, never. I don't know what you guys think. What do you think of Clockwork Angels? It's one of the best albums. I mean, it's definitely like a top 10 album for me. I've said this a dozen times, probably. It's just amazing that a band that, is, that was around for so long came out with such an amazing album as their last album after such an incredible career. No doubt about it. And I mean, it, just even just Getty's voice, how boot got him up that high. I mean, I, I don't know, but the the mixing was much better on Clockwork Angels than Snakes and Arrows and much better than Vapor Trails. Or <laughs> somebody just said, turned all the knobs up and said, let it rip. It was nice to hear Vapor Trails too when they came out with the remaster because I remember I was with Mike and, and my, our, our friend Jim and we were listening to the remastered version. Like, I remember that. I don't remember that. <laughs> remember that guitar it was pretty cool i think that a uh, headlong flight is probably like the quintessential rush song because it packs everything that's great about rush into one song there's a little drum solo there's a great guitar solo the lyrics are amazing getty's singing great i think it's an excellent tune that was a pretty cool day when they came out with that video when they came out with headlong flight yeah and that was um and i you i mean you you said it so well. I mean, it's a, that is a great, great song. And then, you know, to get the, just to pack the garden. on. Oh my God. I mean, I just say the garden right now. I just got goosebumps all over my arms because that was Russia's swan song. I won't get into the fact that I think that clockwork angels had two meanings. It wasn't just the story. Um, I'm not even going to get into it, but I think Neil 
and that's where I, I, this is where the brilliance comes out. There was two different stories to Clockwork Angels, and it had to be put a different way. But um, there have been some people that I've confided in that believe that and understood what I said. But I think that's what was so brilliant about him is that I think a lot of his albums had two different meanings to them. And The Garden was definitely his swan song and Rush's swan song. I don't know if Getty and Alex knew it, but that was Neil Swan's song right there. We were the ones that brought tea lights to the first concert when they were doing Clockwork Angels and the tea light thing went completely bonkers. But Neil mentioned it on his blog about how powerful the tea lights were. And we were responsible for that. The rats were responsible for bringing the tea lights. We didn't give a damn. But no, that song is, uh, uh, wow. I mean, just to think that that would be the last song that they, you know, he would ever write is pretty amazing. We talked to Kevin Anderson and he told us that Neil sent him an email after they had recorded the garden saying that, I think we just recorded the best song we've ever done. My God, Kevin is such a great guy. He did a great tribute video for us that we'll play. And um, yeah, what an honor to uh, put pen to paper especially with, you know, with Neil's blessing behind it. You know, that was one of, you know, as much as, you know, he loved reading and, and loved books. I mean, that was, he probably liked some of those books better than he did, did his music because that's what he wanted to do. And if he was ever with his daughter and I heard stories that, you know, when, if Neil went to a party, people, if you were, you know, a star or whatever, you went to a party, you said, that's not Neil Peart over there. That's dad. So don't go over there and start, you know, talking to him about brush. And he and Neil would tell you right now, <laughs> Livy's dad. I'm not Neil Peer. His daughter meant the world to him. That was huge. So Lance, we can't let you go without asking this question. Were Getty and Alex invited to this event? And can you tell us if they may actually show? Still way up in the air. I think the way Getty and Alex feel, I think that in some ways, and I, I guess it's a Canadian way. And we really just don't know. They don't want it to be about them. They understand what's going on. To be quite frank with you, I have no idea. And I guess we will we will see if we're blessed with their appearance. That would be nice. But again, there's a possibility that they wouldn't show. And that's um, it's it's still two years later. It's still it's still rough on on Getty and Alex. Otherwise, they probably would have had their own tribute at this at this point. It's a little bit different for those guys. Those guys are not Dave Grohl. It's interesting. And, and Canadians are completely different people than Americans. It's an interesting question. And if it happened, I'd be extremely happy. Welcome them with open arms. But again, we really just don't know. Well, Lance, I know we speak for all Rush fans thanking you for planning this event. Jerry and I are going to be there. We know lots of our listeners are going to be there. Thanks for planning it. And thanks for joining us today to talk about it. Dude, I, I appreciate your time. I'm sorry. I'm, you didn't get much words in. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we have people on the podcast, Lance, so they can talk. No, you guys, hey, listen, I look forward to seeing you all and, and, and enjoying a, a beverage as well. So, Jar, one word comes to mind after that conversation with Lance, and it's passion. Yeah, he might be the most enthusiastic and passionate Rush fan that we've ever talked to. And passion for what he's doing with Overtime Angels. I mean. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he says he's got a 70-hour-a-week job, and he spends the rest of his time 
helping others, which is amazing. What Neil would have done. Yeah, I mean, their organization is great because they help individuals who need help. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, ve- it's a very personal, personal kind of help. Yeah. And all of the proceeds for this event go to charity. And like he said, they're helping out hospitals in the area around St. Catharines, which is great. And maybe we should run through some of the artists that are announced that are going to be there. He mentioned a few of them, but uh, Brandon Dyke, who we've had on the podcast, Mm-hmm. Jacob Moon, who we've also had on the podcast, Fleesh, the Rush tribute band from Brazil, David Quartet, which is a string quartet. He mentioned Solar Federation and Permanent Waves, and many more that are not announced. And I frankly can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be a great night. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, find us at The Rushcast. Email Jerry. Let them know what you thought of our conversation with Lance Caston at therushcast at gmail.com. Let them know if you're coming to a night for Neil. Maybe we'll see you there, right? Yeah, absolutely. The base intro and outro, that's Lex. And Jerry, I hope you have a great quote to wrap it up for us. Of course I do, Steve. You know it's from Working Them Angels. Ooh, Working Them Angels, cool. All my life I've been working them angels over time, riding and driving and living so close to the edge. Oh, that's it? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> As usual, perfect ending to the Overtime Angels episode. So yep. Thanks, Jer. All right, see you later. <laughs>